Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditson. Today, we're going to continue our Thursday for 32 series with a look at the Seattle Seahawks. Quite the season. Started off, Russ was cooking. Everything was great. Explosive passing game. It seemed like they were finally getting it. They were no longer establishing to run. Things went south. Second half, easy schedule. Seemed like they confused the masses. Run game got going. Defense got going. Then when they faced a real team in the playoffs, unfortunately, wild card exit later. But still a solid team. And every got Russell Wilson, that quarterback, and maybe not quite as far as way uh, as far as way from contention as some might think have a very special guest to join me to help break down their offseason preview he is an nfr writer for the athletic seattle a true pioneer in the analytics uh, community excuse me the computer cowboy himself ben baldwin you can follow on twitter at ben b baldwin ben happy almost offseason recordings for super bowl and thanks for your time man yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, as you said, it, it really was a tale of two seasons for the Seahawks. So it, it's kind of hard to get your hands around exactly what this team is, especially since they traded away so many of their draft picks. So uh, as, as we'll get to, so their hands are somewhat tied in terms of how much they can reshape the team over the offseason, but uh, they still definitely have some work to do in, in order to try to get back to the top of the conference. Not too many draft picks. We got a small coaching carousel with Pete Carroll behind the whole thing saying he wants to run the ball even more. But it is what it is. We're going to start things off as usual with three team needs and get a quick gut feel around from Ben on some of his workload related thoughts and things with a bold offseason take. So, Ben, what are your three offseason needs for the Seahawks ahead of this 2021 offseason? Yeah. So, I think the first one is like when you think about the Seahawks season and how it ended, like the real story of that game against the Rams. And basically, every time they play the Rams, is that they, they just cannot pass protect against the Rams. And yeah, it's hard because they have Aaron Donald and they have Leonard Floyd and they have all these really good players. But um, I, I think it was something like um, 50% of Russell Wilson's dropbacks. He faced pressure within two and a half seconds, according to the ESPN tracking data in that playoff game against the Rams. And as good as Russell Wilson is, and as good as Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are, you, you just can't win games being pressured half the time, unless you have, a team that's much better than the other team, or maybe unless you have Patrick Mahomes or something. So I, I think priority number one is um, shoring up the offensive line. Um, their center, Ethan Posick, is going to be a free agent. And then uh, Mike Ayupati really struggled in that playoff game. And again, it's Aaron Donald, but they play in the same division as Aaron Donald. They play in the same division as Nick Bosa, uh, Chandler Jones when he comes back, all these guys. So I, I think that priority number one is fixing pass protection, which we've said the last like five seasons. So maybe it'll finally take this time. Um, my second thing is maybe going to sound silly because of the players they have, but I really think they add need to add a third receiving option uh, in addition to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And yeah, those are two amazing receivers, but we've seen the last two seasons, the second that Tyler Lockett is slowed down a little bit. Um, he's kind of, tweaked his knee in the middle of the season, uh, both in 2019 and in 2020. And then afterwards, if he's not at full speed and DK Metcalf is the only real receiving threat, there's just no other outlet for Russell Wilson to look to. So 
they thought that might have been Greg Olson in 2020. They signed him to a pretty expensive one-year deal um, before the season, and it never really worked out. Um, he was hurt some of the time, but even when he was healthy, Russell Wilson just never really seemed to uh, look his way. So I, I think uh, that was the real big disappointment from last year's draft, which was a really heavy receiving draft, as everybody knows now, and there are all these great wide receivers, and they they took a linebacker in the first round and then <laughs> an injured pass rusher who never saw the field uh, last year in the second round. So um, that has not worked out well. And then this year they, they don't have a first round pick because of Joel Adams. So it, fingers crossed on uh, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, so yeah, that was, that was one of the hopes was that he would be that contributor. And we saw flashes of that in 2019 when he was allowed to play. But uh, I, I would assume by now that the team has, uh, <laughs> realized that he he cannot be relied upon to be on the field. What, whatever one thinks about the NFL's disciplinary policy and all that, um, like that's a whole separate conversation. But in terms of if you're the team, if you can expect him to reliably be on the field, then uh, I think that ship has probably sailed. Um, the third one is um, their pass rush. And that, that really struggled over the first half of the season. It was better after trading for Carlos Dunlap, but they have a bunch of free agents um, who serve in Benson Mayoa, um, I mentioned before that their uh, draft pick, Daryl Taylor, didn't give him anything. So I'm assuming that with their limited um, resources, that's probably something that they'll be active in over the offseason in the free agent market, um, But depending on how they feel about Taylor. But I, I would put that as the third need and, and probably a, a decent bit below the other two. Yeah, it's been interesting with their pass rush. I mean, you know, they traded Frank Clark to the Chiefs and they bring in Clowney and it's then they just didn't do anything else. They just kind of expected these <laughs> other guys to get going. And you brought up the missed draft pick, uh, you know, from last year and really just over the years trying to find an edge rusher. I mean, we can debate what really matters more between coverage and pass rush, you know, in a vacuum. But, you know, it's pretty clear they kind of had some sort of resources to this defensive line because, I mean, just by ignoring the problems, it's going to get any better. And it seems like just based on, you know, not paying, you know, Sherman uh, – that extra contract and just some of their cornerback decisions, they want to prioritize pass rush over coverage, but they're just not really doing either right now. Yeah. That the, the first half of the season was like, people were debating pass rush or coverage and the CX were like, what if we just didn't do either one of us? <laughs> and then it kind of culminated in the bills game where they just got absolutely torched by Josh Allen and the bills had a good offense this year, but the Seahawks defense just like did not look like they belonged on the same field as the bills offense. <laughs> So true. Pass rush coverage. How about we actually go with neither and try to outscore them? And then they decide, you know what, we're not going to try to outscore people either. So unfortunate. Yeah. So with that third receiving option, you, you know, you said it with Josh Gordon, we can talk about, you know, whether or not he should be suspended, but clearly they need to look elsewhere. And then with David Moore and Philip Dorsett also being unrestricted free agents, you know, it's a, it's a fair question. I'm wondering there. I just wish man, like, yes, it'd be great to have a number three receiver, but can we just get DK Metcalf 10 plus targets, no matter what I keep hearing, you know, Jalen Ramsey, Patrick Pierce and they shut him down. Like, I don't know, man, when you catch two of four targets, I, I don't know if that's the same thing as shutting someone down as when they get, you know, eight or 10 and they catch two of them. Like I want to be proven wrong that someone can guard DK Metcalf. Cause you know, if Stefan Gilmore couldn't, I'm not sure if anyone can. Yeah. And P after the first Cardinals game, people thought that Patrick Peterson shut down DK Metcalf, but really what happened in that game was nobody on the Cardinals could guard Tyler Lockett because yeah. that was before he got hurt. And that was that game. He had like 200 receiving yards <laughs> and three touchdowns. And then the second game was after Lockett got hurt. And um, going into the game, people were like, well, if, if Peterson shuts down Metcalf and Lockett is hurt, then what are the Seahawks going to do? But 
Metcalf actually went off in that game. Yeah. So I, I think there, there definitely is something to that where um, it, it's unclear whether it's uh, Pete Carroll's conservatism or Russell Wilson's conservatism, but there, there seem like certain matchups where they really don't want to test the cornerback and, and Jalen Ramsey is exhibit a of that, but like they have to be more creative in getting Metcalf away from those corners. If, if they're going to be scared to throw at those guys. Yeah, and look, Jalen Ramsey, best cornerback alive. I'm not debating that, but I just think, you know, when you have a true talent like Metcalf, even just sent, throwing him a couple of deep balls, I think could change the way defenses are trying to guard them, just letting one guy lock them up. Last thing before we move on to the gut field round, you mentioned the offensive line. I love that you included in the pressure stat you know, that it was under two and a half seconds because, you know, as we've you know seen over the years, pressure tends to be more of a QB stat than an offensive line stat. But man, like this is not a new problem. You look back at they're just spending on the offensive line from 2015 and 2019, they ranked, 26, 31st, 16th, 21st, 22nd. And now I'm looking at the 2021 dollars devoted to the offensive line and they rank 30th going into this year. Like for a t- I understand Russell Wilson holds the ball a long time. Same thing with Deshaun Watson. Like they do take unnecessary, you know, unnecessary sacks at times. But like even if the Seahawks want to run the ball, I just don't understand why they haven't invested more resources to the offensive line. Whether you want to run or whether you want to really build around Russ, like this seems like it's been a gaping hole for literally the last half decade. Yeah, pretty much the entire time Wilson has been there. Uh, for a long time, they had Tom Cable as their offensive line coach, and it, it really seemed like their philosophy was we're going to trust Cable to coach these guys up, whether it's late-round picks or defensive line converts or like whatever they were throwing at him. And their offensive line was constantly really bad. And Seahawks fans thought that Tom Cable was just a terrible offensive line coach. But I think looking back now that the Raiders have had pretty good offensive line um play in cables tenure there. I, I think it, it really is, like you said, just a matter of investment where they have, they traded a lot and are paying a lot to Dwayne Brown, the left tackle, who is very good and will hopefully continue that way, even though he's in his mid thirties now. But other than that, there's really not a lot of investment there. They're um, they have people they picked up in free agency for not that much. Um, the one sort of bright spot is um, the right guard that they drafted last year, but he's more of like a run blocker than a, a pass protector. So um, yes, like you said, Russell Wilson's always going to take a lot of sacks. He's always going to have a high pressure rate and that's true, but even so it still makes his job easier if he's getting pressured after three seconds or four seconds or five seconds, rather than like getting beat right off the snap. It's, it's just such a big difference in like the way he's able to go through progressions and try to find receivers. Yeah, I mean, because if you're getting pressured three, four seconds, you can either take the sack, you can try to force the ball into a place you don't want to force it because you're now under pressure, or just try to, you know, completely throw it away. Like, not great options either way. At least someone like Russ, you know, they have that extra, you know, when they're not throwing away, when they are trying to make a play, you get sacked, and you also see some of the freaking gypsy magic that he's pulled off over the years, <laughs> particularly with Lockett. So I, I know it's annoying when you see these five, six sacks games sometimes, but obviously there's been a method to Russ's madness over the year. Great stuff. Again, everyone, those three team needs were the offensive line, getting a third receiving option and getting the pass rush. Now we're going to move on to our gut feel around. Ben and I are recording this on February 4th. So, you know, always could be a trade that changes things, but just want to get your thoughts as things stand right now, Ben. And we'll start off with some of these coaching changes. We start, we uh, talked about briefly at the beginning because Pete Carroll has already come out and said his goal in 2021 will be establishing the run. We got Shane Waldron in as the new man in charge of running the offense. Are you at all optimistic that this unit will put the game in Russ's hands or should we listen to Pete Carroll and expect this team to again, become one of the most run heavy offenses in the league. So I think it's, it's probably not as bad as some fans slash 
uh, fantasy people who want the Seahawks to throw a lot are fearing. Um, Pete Carroll, like even before the games when they were very pass heavy um, this past season, came out talking about how much he wanted to run the ball and how important the running the ball is. So like he's always going to say that. And sometimes when he says that, they really do run the ball a lot. And sometimes um, they don't. So um, yes, firing, or I guess firing is the wrong word, but parting ways with Brian Schottenheimer because uh, Schottenheimer was not conservative enough is definitely a red flag. But in terms of like all the different offensive directions they could have gone for offensive coordinator, like it, it's so much less bad than I feared. And um, it, it seems like McVeigh and those guys in that tree, like they do value the run game and they value it perhaps as a way to set up play action more than like inherently valuing rush attempts like Carol does. So that's like, if you're going to run the ball and emphasize the run, I, I think that's like the least painful way to do it. And maybe I'll be very burned and disappointed when the season <laughs> starts, but I, w- I was expecting like, like some very old, very conservative coach to basically just come in and run whatever offense Pete Carroll wanted him to run. And um, having someone younger who presumably has fresh ideas and was under McVeigh, um, that like that's as good as it could have turned out given that Brian Schottenheimer was let go because he wasn't conservative enough. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. That's promo code PFF for new customers to get a shot at 100 to 1 odds on any basketball team to hit a three-point shot only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, or Virginia only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or an Indiana. 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Virginia, call 888-532-3500. PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcast. They'll provide the most interesting football conversations and sports every single week, and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. And now back to the podcast. It's a very good point. And Pete Carroll, I mean, as we know, in his in-season press conferences in particular, like you can't really trust anything the guy says. Yep. So, yep. you know, we probably should be paying more attention to the actions than the words. Now, DK Metcalf had this quote that's been kind of making his way around over the past few weeks where this is directly from DK. We've been running deep pass ever since uh, Pete got there. Play action, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, go deep. Team just said, we're not going to let you all go deep. Is that something that you've, uh, you know, not to put you too much on the spot, that's something that you found like in kind of your analysis on the Seahawks and maybe won't went wrong was their inability to work those underneath intermediate areas of the field and if so is that something that you think having a disciple from the Sean McVay coaching tree could fix in a hurry so I I think this isn't really a numbers-based impression but I I think there definitely is truth to that and there's there's actually a very very similar quote by Tyler Lockett after 2019 so it's not like this is even a new thing but (laughs) like teams know that Seattle wants to run the ball and throw the ball deep and when team, when defenses take that away, they have to have some other option. And, yeah. and the, their only response cannot be, we're going to try to run the ball to take you out of these two deep looks, because if teams um, don't take the bait, then you haven't really accomplished anything. So you, you need, you need answers that don't only involve running the ball. And if you can run the ball well against those looks, then great. That's fine. Go crazy doing it. <laughs> but 
if you can't, then you need some other answer because the Seahawks in the last couple of years just haven't had answers to those types of looks. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's yeah. I remember Tyler Lockett, even Russell Wilson was campaigning at the end of last season. You know, let's let's yeah. the ball more, let's hurry up, let's pace this. It does make sense to what Metcalf is saying. I mean, yeah, because as everyone, as much as everyone wants to still talk about his three cone, and, you know, his uh, you know lack of you know lack of route running ability. When you're as fast as that dude, and cornerbacks have to bail as quickly. We saw in that second Patrick Peterson matchup, him running you know comebacks and other routes that you would think they could maybe get more in his route tree. So hopefully we do see an adjustment there. Sticking on this, uh, you know, I guess a wide receiver train again. Again, more Dorsett, our unstructured free agents, were expecting Josh Gordon to probably never play another snap. We really had to put our money down. They drafted Freddie Swain last year. He, you know, flashed a little bit. And you mentioned before the need for number three receiver. Is there anyone, you know, in this free agency class or the draft in particular that catches your eye? And if it's not even a specific player, just like a type of wide receiver you're looking for in particular? I So I actually haven't dug into the free agency class last last year i really wanted uh robbie anderson <laughs> and i i think that would have been amazing for them um and i i haven't taken a close look and i haven't let myself think about the draft because their draft situation is just too depressing <laughs> i i would be pretty surprised given their draft capital if they invested any sort of capital draft capital at least in in um, wide receivers so sorry to not have a great answer to this one. Oh, fair enough you're good i was thinking more like do you think it'd be having a field stretcher like robbie anderson or maybe more of an underneath slot guy or you know just anything like that because hey metcalf and lockett you know we see the chiefs right now with their two guys i mean you can run your whole pass offense through only these two guys if they are that good or you know you mentioned lockett being hurt before maybe just working on getting insurance there just want to show if there's more of an arch type you're looking at yeah if if we were drawing the Chiefs parallel, like the, the guy they're really missing is a Travis Kelsey. So maybe I shouldn't even <laughs> be saying wide receiver, but like they need somebody who can work underneath the Russell Wilson trust. And we thought that was going to be Greg Olson. And it like, there were a lot of times where Olson was open and Wilson looked at him and just did not throw to him. So if, I don't know if it's a question of Wilson being comfortable in those areas of the field or like what the issue is like, maybe there really is something to the height thing. Um, and, and that's the one instance where he really is affected, but like that, that's the type of player and the, the type of area of the field they need to be able to attack more than they have been, I think. I love when people talk about Travis Kelsey and they try to like say, Oh, he's a, he's a wide receiver as some sort of like insult to imply <laughs> he's soft. If you call Travis Kelsey, a wide receiver, you're, you're saying in a meme way that he's underpaid because the fact that dude puts up that much production and, you know, is still being called a tight end is being paid like a tight end. It's insane to me. I see why Jimmy Graham, you know, through a, you know, through a rightful fit back in 2013, trying to get the franchise tag as a wide receiver instead of a tight end. Just a, just another thing about the NFL salary cap that to me makes a very little sense in how they do that but you know we can talk uh, much more about that another day want to round out the offense with the running back position and before you just say it doesn't matter i just want to try to get your thoughts on a few of these guys i know my employer certainly loves to beat that drum whenever they can because carlos hyde uh you know chris carson you know i want to hear your thoughts and if you think any of the, either of them could come back on a team-friendly deal and if not are we looking at rashad penny finally getting a chance because you know it's been rough for him to stay healthy i get it but in the few times he's been on the field he's looked pretty good yeah, he, he had some flashes before he got hurt in 2019. Uh, this is Penny. Uh, and then unfortunately towards ACL late in the season and never really looked the same again. But I'm, my understanding is that this is normal for ACL tears where you're not really at full strength the first season back. So it would not surprise me at all if Rashad Penny lead back was a thing next year. Um, if I had to guess with no inside information, I would guess that Chris Carson would get 
priced out of their market. Um, they love him and, and he runs exactly the, the way they want to, but he has the kind of volume yardage stats um, in his belt that will probably get him a contract that's bigger somewhere else. Um, I, I hope that they can retain Hyde on a team-friendly deal because I actually was pretty impressed by him this year. And if, if he's not expensive again, then uh, might as well bring him back. Um, and like they can't just rely on Penny um, just because the position, like people get hurt so often, uh, including Penny. Um, so that, w- that would be nice, but it, it's hard to know exactly where the markets are going to be on a lot of these players. Fair enough. Yeah, Carlos Hyde's going to be on freaking nine or ten NFL teams by the time his career's <laughs> over, and he's going to be like above average on all of them. So credit to him. Yeah, he's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, man. It's it's he's one of those guys where like he gets hate because he just takes production away from the fancy players that everyone else is starting. Like, there's nothing yeah. wrong with Carlos Hyde. There's nothing wrong with Gus Edwards and these backs. But you know, we just want the other guy to be succeeding, and everyone's you know assholes on Twitter because of it. But last question before we get your uh, bold offseason take. So you know, Seahawks they paid the King's ransom for Jamal Adams' services. We saw, you know, that, hey, he could provide a bunch of pass rush, but obviously was a liability and coverage for bunches of the season and then trying to play through the pain towards the end, you know, had some pretty uh, bad plays on film to put it lightly in that Rams game. Do you think there's, and I, I know you probably don't have, you know, insider information. If you do, that's great. But if not, I just want your opinion. Do you think there's any chance the Seahawks, you know, view the deal as a sunk cost and part ways with Adams? Or is this a situation where they're going to be like, we already invested so much in this guy. We have to give him a long-term deal. I would guess the latter um, just like, it would look so bad if they traded this much for him and let him walk, um, which like is one of the reasons that the trade was a bad deal. If they couldn't get a deal done while doing the trade, because like, he basically has them over a barrel now where if, if they don't retain him, it's going to look really bad. So he can ask for a lot and they won't have much of a choice. Um, he probably didn't help his market a lot this year, uh, mostly because he got injured a couple of times and that, it really didn't help him, but like there were times where he was healthy and on the field and very impactful. So I'm, I'm guessing they will be forced to pay him a lot of money. And uh, I still do not think the trade was a great idea, obviously. Yeah, no, he's great at what he does. The question is just, is what he does worth all that money? So, I mean, it's, you know, I remember that Falcons game to start the season, man, I, he looked like an MVP candidate just flying all over the field. And then the next yeah. week we see Julian Edelman, you know, taking him to school. So they, I seem like they figured out his role more as the year went on, but you know, it, it is disappointing if they're going to get, if they can get him on just, you know, one of the highest paid safety deals, like, okay, great. Just, you know, please don't, please don't break the bank necessarily, but we'll see how that one uh, plays out. Ben, thank you so much for all this information do you have a bold offseason prediction you can leave us with yeah so i was trying to think of one and like the seahawks offseason is just so boring compared <laughs> to like the rams trading for a quarterback and maybe the, the 49ers trading for a quarterback so like as as bold as i can get about the seahawks we we sort of touched on already but i i think i i don't know maybe this isn't even bold but i i think there's a, a decent chance that rashad penny will be rb1 for the seahawks next year I like that, man. Yeah, I feel like he's going under the radar. And when you look at some of these depth charts right now, it's a good chance to, uh, and that's why, you know, I want to do this whole offseason series so we can look at these depth charts, realize who's leaving. And hey, you know, Rashad Penny, he's going to be somewhere in the back, you know, five rounds of some of these best ball drafts that, hey, take a chance on him now. We'll see how it pans out. And if he doesn't, he's it didn't cost you much anyway in the yep. first place. So fantastic stuff, Ben. Thank you for the time, man. Everyone make sure you follow Ben on Twitter at Ben B. Baldwin. Got any uh, articles or anything you want to pitch before you head out? Uh, I wrote something on the Stafford trade a couple days ago. Uh, 
even after writing about it, I still don't know how I feel about the trade, but I'm, I'm very interested to watch uh, Sean McVay with a different quarterback. So I, I think that'll be fun in uh, seven months when we go football again. Absolutely. I yeah, make sure you check out that Stafford article. I believe you said maybe the closest uh, scenario we were looking at historically was Carson Palmer. Yeah. The, the closest optimistic scenario. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to go the other way, then there's Jay Cutler who was traded for almost exactly the same thing. So. I like it. We got, we got to be optimistic and look, also look at the bad side of things. So a uh, great job by you. Everyone make sure you check that out again on Twitter at Ben B Baldwin. That's going to do it. Everybody he's been on me and this has been the PFF fantasy football podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. 